Our scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 32. I do warn you, it is a long, long passage. And our sermon today is entitled The Exodus. So let us hear the word of God. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you, shall not, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day into the seventh day, the person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month, of, of the month at evening. 
For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorstops with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorstops, doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter into your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The people, then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Let's just say hello to each other once again. Just look around you. Just behind you, in front of you. Say hello to those of you who are at home. We have quite a few people who are sick today. If you are a family with kids, we understand kids just bring everything back home. But praise be to the Lord that we can continue to gather as God's people. We gather as God's people because we remember that God has been and is working today in our lives. I do not know what happened these past six days since we last saw each other, but I do know that God has been working in you. I do know that God has been challenging you. I do know that God has been drawing you to him in his word and in prayer. And I do know that whether you've been faithful this past week or not, God has been faithful to you. And you're here today. And I rejoice, and I hope all of you rejoice in just seeing the people around you and people texting you and saying, I can't make it today, our kids are sick. Knowing that we long for 
the togetherness and the blessings that God gives us together as a church. Here in our passage today in Exodus chapter 1 through 18, we come to the culmination of all that Pharaoh and Moses has been contending for. Which God or which gods is preeminent? Is it the God of the Israelites, Yahweh? Or is it the pantheon of gods of the Egyptians? We've gone through the nine plagues and we've seen Pharaoh's heart getting hardened and hardened even more and more. God demonstrates more of his miracles. God demonstrates his miracles in such a fashion that everyone knows it's Yahweh. And yet with the evidence before Pharaoh, his heart refuses to acknowledge the God of Israel. We come to the point in the passage where God is going to do his final great mighty act. This final plague or strike his final stretch of his hands to intervene on behalf of his people. And what's interesting about this passage is we all know the story of the Passover lamb. Whether we grew up in the church or not, it's still part, although slowly fading, a part of our Western heritage, growing up here in the States. We all know the story of the final plague, of the lambs that needed to be sacrificed, the bloods that were the blood that was that was painted over the doorposts, and the fact that the destroyer came and passed over those whose posts were painted with blood. But for those who didn't, every firstborn perished wailing and crying. And we know that in the end that that Pharaoh reluctantly let Israel go. And what we understand about this story, this event, is that we know that this is the historic event of God's people. This is the historic event of Israel. This is an event that has occurred in history. And what we have here in our passage in Exodus chapter 12, we have this intertwining of both the the present situation and Moses telling this people what he needs to do, but also a charge to them to remember this day, to celebrate this day to make it a feast of unleavened bread that you remember the mighty works that God has done. You see, in the course of redemptive history, God has done many great works. And when something fantastic, miraculous happens, God spends his time relaying to his people what the event means. God's interpretation, not Pharaoh's interpretation, 
not the Egyptians' interpretation, not the magician, not the, not the people of Is, not the people of, of of Egypt's interpretation, not even the Israelites' interpretation is correct. The only interpretation of the, these events is the interpretation that God gives, and we celebrate together. Think about your own life history. You celebrate birthdays because hopefully that was an eventful time for your family, right? You remember the birth of your child and we celebrate together. But you know that as you celebrate the birth of the child, every year that they grow, the celebration changes just a little bit, right? In the beginning, the, the kids want candles and the kids want the, the pinata that you hit and they want candy. And by the time they're 18, they're just like, give me your credit card, dad. I'll go and get what I want. But also, your perspective changes as well in terms of, is the birthday, am I celebrating it because I was born? Do I celebrate my, my mother for giving birth to me? And even greater, do we celebrate just our whole family together? That's not just about my birth, but it's about our family together and how my birth has added to the, the glory, the love, the joy of the family that we have. You see, we, we all understand that great events require great remembrance and great celebration. And so Exodus chapter 12 here is telling us likewise, this is a great event. We must remember it, commemorate it, And as the history of God's dealing with humanity continues to progress, you will see ultimately what the Passover truly means. Unfortunately, nowadays, even those from the Jewish religion no longer celebrate Passover as much as you think. Gone are the days of the big sort of cedar ceremonies where, where they come and they, they, they feast together after the seven days of even eating unleavened bread. For you see, in the Jewish heritage, a, a different event has come and, and taken over. An event outside of Scripture, but nonetheless an event that we, we weep for. And that's the Holocaust. The Holocaust itself as the event has been now the defining event of what it means to be an Israelite. Those of the Jewish heritage. And because of that, the events of Exodus has receded into the background. And in fact, the story of, of the Jewish nation today has, has taken a different road. But we see the impact, do we not, of when there are events to individuals or to people groups that are enormous in their effect, that it changes the trajectory of our history and where we go. I want you to understand this. 
because the, the occurrences here in Exodus chapter 12, they are historical. This is not simply a play that some, someone wrote up or a film script. These are historical. And God himself, through Moses and Aaron, made sure that all peoples for all posterity understood what it means. So what happened? Well, we saw the first nine plagues, right? The ninth plague was darkness. We saw creation being uncreated. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, there was darkness over everything. In other words, nothing has been done yet. The Spirit of God was, was, was hovering over the waters, but there was darkness everywhere. And this last plague was assigned to, to Egypt and to Israel that I, the God who created, can uncreate. But this last plague, the tenth plague, was a plague not only on the beasts, but on humanity, those he made in his own image. The height of his six days of work. Man and woman made in the image of God. You who are so precious that we remember after the Noahic covenant when, when they came out and Noah made the sacrifice, God says to Noah, this is how precious humanity is. That if a wild animal happened upon you and, and killed you, that animal will be brought to judgment. I don't know what that means. But the preciousness of the life of a person to the Lord. And yet in this final judgment, God makes his final statement. Even man that I created, his life, their life, belongs to me. This is humbling. Perhaps some feel it's unfair. But God demonstrates this truth in his final plague. All the firstborn of humanity and of the beast will perish. Surely Pharaoh will let my people go. But there's a caveat, right? The caveat of God's mercy. Now this is different. Remember that the other plagues where the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, God made sure that that land was spared everything. Right? So the plague of the livestock, the livestock outside of Goshen all died. But if you lived in Goshen, none died. Right? The, the plague of darkness everywhere around Goshen was dark. 
But Goshen itself had light. I would love to have been, I would love to have seen that myself. Had light. God himself sort of separated and distinguished the two peoples. But God here does something radically different than simply do what he did before. He commands the people of God to do their part. That they are supposed to go to find a lamb one year unblemished. They are to take it, kill it. Take the blood, right, and put it on the door frame, the top and the sides. And that very night, they are to eat by fire. They aren't to boil it, they're to eat by fire. Eat it up with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Let me explain a little bit of, of, of why God is doing this, of how God is bringing glory to himself through this. First, God wants the people of Israelite, of the Israelites to know that they had no part in their salvation. In fact, they had no time to prepare anything but the sacrifice of the lamb and a very quick meal. You might ask, why, why unleavened bread? You know, why matzah, right? Why, why, why this, this bread without leaven that, that tastes like a cracker? Why does God say this? Why does God command it has to be unleavened bread? Why is it later on the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days? They're not allowed to put yeast in it and get some, you know, good sourdough going, you know, whatever it may be. It's because God wants to remind them that they had no time to prepare for what God is doing. Zero time. You are to eat the stalest of bread. You are to eat that which is quickest to prepare. And when you eat it, you will remember that you had no part, no time when I told you and commanded you believe. In the children's bulletin, I, I asked the question, you know, if, if you had to leave home right now in a hurry, you can only pick one thing to pick out of your fridge to eat, what would it be? You open it up, what, what is it that you have to, be, to eat? Something that you can't prepare, something that has to be eaten very quickly. And the follow-up question is like, what if every year you had to eat that for seven days? And they'd be like, why would we, I do that? It's like, why? Because you would remember what happened the year before. For God himself, God wants the people to remember that it is he who brought them out. The second thing that he commands them to eat is bitter herbs. I mean, think, think of that. Bitter herbs. 
God himself wants them to understand that their exodus from this place, while it is joyful, it was difficult with hardship. And God wants them to know that it is he who brought them out, that there's nothing that they could have done that they themselves, when they left, they did not leave, leave with fanfare. There was no band leading the way, which is God himself. One of my favorite descriptions of the Exodus, and I'll talk more about this later on in our sermon series, is when the Israelites left and they were marching. And the psalmist looks at this ragtag group of people. Remember, they're leaving in a hurry. They have ransacked Israel, another, uh, ransacked Egypt. In other words, Israel said, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have that? And, and they took everything. And they're carrying whatever, wheelbarrows, whatever they had back then, and they're, they're leaving quickly. And they're scared because they know that Pharaoh could change their mind. And as they're leaving, the psalmist calls them the army of God. That's, that doesn't look like an army to me. But it's an army because God goes before as the vanguard and God, God protects from behind as the rear guard. It's because they are God's people that they are the army of God. Do you see how great this event is? Israel, Israel is going home, not by their doing, but by God's and God's alone. Secondly, we can't ignore this, right? We see that God commands them to take that one-year lamb and to sacrifice it unto the Lord. One of the things about Covenants in the Bible is that covenants require blood. Oh my goodness, what a barbaric, barbaric religion. But what does the blood represent? If we take a step back from our 21st century viewpoint, and just think, just in generally, about life itself. Blood represents that very life. God himself gave you life. And it's the blood that courses through you. For the ancient people, and even for us today, we know it's essential for life. And here in this passage, God is saying, instead of your firstborn, O Israel, being taken away, I require only the blood of a lamb. In exchange for your firstborn son, your firstborn daughter, just the blood of the lamb. And so all of Israel followed suit and did so.
And when the destroyer came once again, the destroyer passed over and had mercy on them. This beautiful new image, this progress in the covenants from Abraham and Isaac to Moses and the Passover. God has sort of upped the ante. God has sort of given given them a a new curriculum. God has graduated them from elementary school to, to intermediate school. Remember the covenant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was simply God himself saying, listen, if I do not keep my covenant with you, let myself be sacrificed. Right? I will, he walks through the midst of the, of the calf that was sacrificed, cut into the doves that were cut. And he walked through and said, if I don't make you as many as the, the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, may I be destroyed. Me, God, myself, who can't be destroyed. God's saying, surely I will keep my promises. And now here in Exodus, God is showing that one life can save another life. The sacrifice of one living thing can perhaps save the life of a human being. And so the people of God are learning. We ourselves are learning. And as we understand what's happening with the blood of the Lamb, we ourselves who are privy to live with a Bible that is complete, a story that is complete, we do not look for another book to come. We just look for Jesus to come back. The Bible, the story is complete. We see in in John, we see in the gospel, we see in Paul, that everyone, when they look back to Exodus, they look back to their, if I can say, sixth or seventh grade, they themselves who now know the Lord, understand that it's not simply a lamb that can take away the sins of a human being. It's not a sacrifice of an animal that can save someone made in the image of God. It's not. But what they started to see and understand was that that lamb had to be not only a human being, life for our life, but that lamb had to be very God of very God himself. That the sins of the people, the doubts of the people, the rebellion of the people, that the only way to save them is not through the sacrifice of an animal, not through the sacrifice of a human being, but the sacrifice of the Son of God himself, who was without blemish, without stain, perfect. So that your sins may be placed upon him, 
his righteousness may be given to you. It is Christ, our Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed for you and for me. And again, this is an historic event. This is not some fictional story that was written by some, some person in the past. A story simply written to give morale to people. But the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus, the Passover lamb, is as historical as the Passover itself. And praise be to the Lord that he gives us his scriptures to give us the official, the healing, the gracious interpretation of who Jesus is and what he has done. Brothers and sisters, there are too many charges to give you in this story. Trust in Jesus, being all of the of the, the arc of history. Love your Bibles. But the very least, I want you to understand, especially those of you who are college students here, but just everyone. Unfortunately, as we grow as people, because of sin that still resides in us, our interpretations of the events of Jesus, our interpretations, the way we grew in Christ, a way we came to know in Christ and grow, grew in Christ, they change. They change. Some for the good, but for a lot of us, they change not for the good. But if you want to understand how God is changing you, if this church wants to understand what God is accomplishing to all the events here, these great many events here of people come to know Christ, we always have to go back to the Bible. Because your story is in there. For those of you who do not know the Lord yet and you're still trying to figure it out, your story is in there. For those of you who came to know Christ and you're, you're joyful, well, you, you already know your story is in there. Those of you who are seasoned in your faith and you, you feel like you're growing a lot of white hair, you're laboring, you're tired. You're questioning where my faith has been. God, why are you doing this? Did I really know you? Do you really know me? I shared with you many times, there were times I was, when I was planting this church and encouraging you, there, there were times in my head I would say, there's no one in our church that believes in Jesus, <laughs> not even me. Times of real discouragement. Our stories are in the Bible as well. Let the Lord and his word encourage you. He, whom, he himself, who started a good work in all of us, 
surely he will be faithful to complete it. Let's pray. Lord, we are not unlike many of the figures and the people in the Bible. We are full of doubt, full of questions. We are full of hubris, full of pride. Either way, Lord God, we draw attention to ourselves and we fail to love other people. For we have changed the story of Exodus, and we've changed the story of Jesus to be about us. It's amazing, Lord, of how, how sophisticated we as sinners can be. That when we read your word, for some reason we see just ourselves and we can't see you. We are like Pharaoh in that way. But we praise you and we thank you that you have given us a new heart. Although we can't worship you completely and perfectly, we worship you by faith. Faith in knowing that Christ Jesus loves us. By faith in knowing, Lord, that when we say we trust in you, we do it as sinners saved by grace. We do it as a people of God here, Lord God, as we seek, Lord, to unite in faith, to love one another. We do so that knowing, Lord, that our failings are included in our unity. And so we ask of you once again, bring revival in our hearts by hearing your word, by hearing the true and only right interpretation of the events of redemptive history and the events of our own lives as well. May we rejoice and rejoice in you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.